Girlfriends, episode number 145. You need more sleep. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom, and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance, and joy in family living. This week, we're talking about all the different ways that you are sleep deprived and how we can address that problem. Let's get started. Hey, girlfriends, welcome to the show. Welcome to another episode of the Girlfriends Podcast. I'm always happy when you join me here. This is fun. Every week we get to connect here through the podcast. And I love all the ways that we connect online, especially through our Facebook group. Shout out for the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Girlfriends Podcast if you want to join us there. But nothing really can replace the opportunity that we have each week to connect about different topics here. So first of all, I want to give a shout out to any new listeners. Welcome, new listeners. Our numbers have been steadily growing, and I am thrilled to add new people to the Girlfriends Podcast community. So you're welcome here. And if this is your first time ever listening, I'm thrilled that you're here. Thanks for being a part of Girlfriends. Thanks for checking us out. And a little bit about Girlfriends is that we cover all kinds of topics here related to family living for the most part. Um, most of our listeners are Catholic moms, but we've got people from all walks of life. I hear from um, young single women. I hear from retired women. I We have some male listeners. Not my husband yet, uh, but we do. And um, all kinds of people from all walks of life. So you are definitely welcome here, Catholic or not. Um, I do share from a Catholic perspective, but we also talk about a lot of different topics um, related just to Christianity, to family values, to family faith life in general. Um, so for sure, I'm always aiming to be a welcoming and encouraging voice here on Girlfriends about topics that women just care about, the stuff that we chat about. So um, then that is today's topic for sure, talking about needing sleep. I mean, there's not a Catholic way to sleep, right? But <laughs> uh, it's an important topic for all of us, and it actually affects every part of our lives. So let's dive into this week's topic, you need more sleep. How do I know you need more sleep? Because Everybody needs more sleep. Uh, we're walking around sleep deprived, most of us. And uh, that's a terrible thing because it does. It affects our work. It affects our relationships. It affects our moods. It affects our health. We need more sleep. And I think we are more than ever a nation of sleep deprived individuals. And I think technology actually has a lot to do with it. Also our kind of workaholic kind of culture. Um, but in years past, when the sun went down, everybody was shutting down. And now it seems like, oh, the lights go on, the devices turn on, and uh, people are going to bed so late. And now, first of all, I want to start this topic out by saying I'm not trying to guilt trip anybody who's sleep deprived because they have to be. Because those years when kids are getting out of bed, or you have a tiny baby who needs you or um, someone who's sick or whatever's going on in your family life. I know life is unpredictable in those ways, but um, we're going to talk about some ways that you can kind of aim for better sleep overall and kind of aim for getting better rest in order to be your best self at the start of each day. I mean, when you get up in the morning, like whether it's an alarm or a kid that wakes you up, uh, is your first feeling like dread and misery because that's not okay. And I think that's how many of us are beginning our days, like smashing that snooze button and, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm, I'm back here. I need to force myself out of bed again. 
I want to get you to the place where you can be getting good rest and living in a balanced way so that it feels good getting up in the morning. I'm not quite there yet myself. <laughs> I sometimes do struggle. And, um, you know, and I've realized over the years where I've, especially now that my kids are, are older and I can control my sleep a little bit more, um, I'm, I'm finding that it really is a discipline. And that's the first thing I want to talk about is the fact that getting enough sleep is really a form of discipline outside of those things we've mentioned that are just outside of your control. It's a discipline to go to bed on time for the most part. It for sure feels like a discipline to get your, your body out of bed in the morning, right? But the opposite is also true. You just don't feel it so much because you're like just clicking next on Netflix maybe or um, enjoying a book or whatever it is you, you like to do before bed. And those of us who are raising small children especially – I think I used to do this. Oh my gosh. It was like, get the kids to bed. And that was my time. It was my time with Dan. It was my time to perhaps pursue a, a little project of my own, whether it was writing or, or cooking or something in the house or whatever, you know, my time. And it's hard to not just want more of that. <laughs> so that's what I think I fell into the habit of doing that years ago. Um, and I don't recommend it. <laughs> I don't because I know that there were times when I was not my best physically, spiritually, emotionally, because I was sleep deprived because I didn't have the discipline to get myself to bed the night before. And I mean, I, I, I want to encourage you to just have some balance here. It doesn't mean you have to go to bed as soon as the kids go to bed. I mean, you, you should enjoy that time together with your husband or pursuing something on your own that you don't have an opportunity to do otherwise. I mean, honestly, I wouldn't even be a, a published writer if I hadn't used and sometimes abused that time for work projects, um, you know, especially when my kids were younger. So I completely understand about that. Um, but I just want to encourage you to have a little bit of balance and maybe have a goal in mind with regard to discipline. Father Mike Schmitz, who also has a podcast through Ascension, and I'm always promoting his stuff, he once did an episode on getting enough sleep. And he talked about that idea that it's our pride sometimes when we're trying to do work and we were not going to bed at night. It's our pride that won't let go and just give it to God and say, I've done what I can for today. It's in your hands now, God, until tomorrow when I'll pick it up again. And I forget which pope it was, but there was this famous story of a quote uh, from a pope who used to tell God at the end of the day, like, the world is yours now. I'm going to bed. <laughs> See you in the morning. You know, so if a pope can do that, we can do that. And um, think about that. I thought that was an interesting challenge from Father Mike about the discipline of going to bed on time is this idea that... Uh, we're not letting go because we think only we can do the stuff, all the stuff. And yeah, that might be true for some parts of your life. But in what ways are you relying too much on yourself, thinking too much about what you can accomplish and not putting things into God's hands? You know, it's reasonable that you go to bed and get a reasonable amount of rest that God built our bodies to need that rest. So he knows all about it. And um, so if you're running out of time at the end of the day, then maybe it needs to be a reorganization of your priorities. Maybe it means that project's not that important or something else that you're doing is not that important. You know, if you're running out of time for it, God knows you only have 24 hours in a day and you need a good eight of them perhaps for sleeping. So think about that. I really thought that was an interesting thing from Father Mike because I hadn't previously thought of it that way. You know, I'm thinking like, oh, I'm working so hard. I'm sacrificing. I'm doing this good thing. I'm sacrificing my sleep for this good thing that I'm doing. Well, to what extent is that pride? 
and me thinking only I can do this good thing or, um, you know, I, I, I'm the one who's going to decide when it gets done rather than I'm going to hit the pause button and pick it up again in the morning when surprise, surprise, you might actually do a better job on the thing <laughs> because sometimes, you know, years ago I shared that, uh, I often did writing projects late at night. Well, I learned um, to not hit send on anything and send it to any editor until I had given it a good read through the following day, because sometimes what you think is perfectly acceptable at like two in the morning, not so much <laughs> when you reread it with fresh eyes the next day. So anyway, give that a little bit of thought. So that's my, my first idea for you is to get yourself to bed on time. Think about that as a discipline, a way of practicing discipline. I had a friend once who did this for Lent, and I thought that was really interesting, going to bed by a certain time for the for all of Lent, which, again, is really emphasizing to you that it's a discipline and it's something that you're doing for a greater good. Okay, so get yourself to bed on time. Consider that discipline. Okay, the next one's a super practical one. Give yourself a caffeine curfew. And by that I mean... Many of us are drinking different kinds of caffeine throughout the day, ingesting all kinds of caffeine, whether it's coffee or tea or Diet Coke or whatever your poison of choice is. <laughs> Give yourself a point in the day that is going to be your last caffeine intake. And, you know, you can experiment with this and see what works best because, you know, um, I, I recently heard this interview with a doctor who was talking about people suffering insomnia or, you know, waking up in the middle of the night or having trouble getting to sleep, all of these different issues. And this doctor said, I see patients all the time who are talk who tell me they have these issues. And when I mention caffeine, they say, oh, that's not it. Like they just cut them off because we don't want to give up our caffeine, right? Well, this doctor was saying, usually that is it. It's related in some way. Not saying you can't ever use any or take in any caffeine, but figure out what makes sense for you. Maybe it's after 3 p.m. I know some people who never have caffeine after noontime. Um, and in times in my life where I've struggled with sleep problems, I have cut out caffeine altogether and you can do it, I don't recommend it because I love coffee <laughs> and I love tea. And um, but so it's, you know, just kind of giving yourself that balance and seeing how you do. If you're taking in a lot of caffeine, it's very likely related to any sleep issues that you're having, whether it's having trouble falling asleep or it's staying up too late or it's waking up in the middle of the night, and not being able to fall back asleep. Totally related. So um, be honest with yourself about that and maybe experiment a little bit. Maybe go for a few days um, not taking in any caffeine after 2 p.m. and see how you do sleeping those nights. See how it compares. Give your body a little time to adjust, of course, before you judge. But give yourself a curfew. I really think there should be a curfew. And I know, and I used to be one of those people who would like drink an espresso at 9 p.m. And I might still do that on a special occasion or something. But for the most part... I just think it's a really bad idea. <laughs> You're really messing with yourself. Um, and you know, it's funny thing about caffeine. I know I've been I've been all over the map with regard to caffeine. I've been totally addicted, like drinking tons of coffee and Diet Coke to drinking none at all. Like I mentioned, I can cut it out completely if and when I decide I need to do that. And every once in a while I do do that. Um, and it might be it might be a time for you to do that if you think you're taking in too much caffeine. I find that just kind of giving your body a reset and going cold turkey, like maybe try to spend a week without drinking any caffeine. Or if you're not a cold turkey kind of person, if you're afraid you're going to get massive headaches or something, then, you know, cut it down to just like having one cup of coffee a day or something like that. See how you can adjust it. I find that it's helpful to do like a total reset the same way with sugar. Um, you know, I'll go through different phases with my diet and how I'm eating where, 
um, all of a sudden I realized, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm just eating carbs, like tons of carbs and different forms of sugar all day long. And that's, <laughs> you know, given its own preferences, that's where uh, my body and appetite will go. And um, just realizing that, that I find it's helpful to every once in a while just do like a reset. I'm actually doing it right now. I've been, um, along with my husband, Dan, just eating a super low carb diet, just as a way of just cutting out all sugar and just kind of uh, retraining my body and my brain to be a little bit more balanced in my nutritional choices. And I find that's a helpful thing to do. And then something similar with caffeine, cutting it out altogether and seeing how you do or drastically reducing it, seeing how you do. Find out how it's affecting you. Don't, you know, don't bury your head in the sand like that doctor's patients do and be like, oh, that's definitely not it because you don't want to give it up. Um, if not getting enough sleep or, or getting restless sleep, you know, sometimes you can get eight hours of sleep or you think you were asleep, you were unconscious for eight hours, and you wake up and you feel like you were hit by a truck. It's the worst. And that's because you're not getting good quality sleep. You're not really going through the sleep stages the way that your body is designed to do, not really getting that deep sleep that's really restful for your body, what you need. And um, that caffeine can be affecting that. So anyway, I really encourage you to experiment with caffeine. If you take in caffeine in any form, to figure out ways that maybe you can go a few days without it and see if you do better or drastically reduce it or absolutely need to give yourself a caffeine curfew. Okay, the next one that I'm going to mention is one that I mentioned. It's pretty much in every podcast I'm telling you to do this. <laughs> so you could probably guess what it is. And it's exercise. Exercise, move your body in the day. You know, we're made to be physically active. Our bodies are designed for that. And we're not balanced and we're not healthy when we're not doing that. Now, that doesn't mean you have to become a fitness fanatic. You have to do some lunatic thing and start your own YouTube channel where, you know, you're doing these hit workouts or whatever. No, I mean, if that's what you like, for sure. But it doesn't have to be like that. I think that we Americans, especially, kind of have our lives in these categories, like I exercise or I don't exercise, right? And exercising means doing a formal program, going to the gym, getting on a machine, um, running five miles or um, doing a, a workout with a DVD or, you know, a program. And exercise doesn't have to be like that. You know, uh, a while back I did an episode, I well, I think it's probably over a year now, maybe we need to revisit this topic, on different ways to move, add more movement to your day, just natural ways to be more physically active in your day. Because, you know, they say sitting is the new smoking. It's it's what it's the hidden thing that's making everybody unhealthy. The fact that we sit so much in our days. So look for ways to be more active in your day. Look for a way to walk somewhere instead of taking the car, perhaps, or go for a walk after lunch or run up and down the stairs three times if you realize you've been sitting on your laptop for an hour and a half, you know? Just look for ways to be more active in your day. For sure, adding official times of exercise in your day is super helpful, super beneficial. In fact, studies show that doing that in the morning, first thing in the morning, is really a helpful boost to your metabolism that sets it correctly so that you're going to be active during the day and be ready to go to sleep at night. So if at all possible, you know I'm a big fan of morning workouts. <laughs> Not always as I'm putting on my running shoes first thing in the morning, but uh, in on the whole... It's such a great way to get your workout in. I mean, I know, and we've talked about this in other episodes where we talk about fitting in fitness. And 
I am the worst. I will just drive myself insane. Like if I don't get that morning workout in, and I'm saying this on a day where I didn't because I got up and I'm recording this podcast and I had a thousand other things that were on my list. Um, I'm, I know already I'm going to drive myself crazy and maybe my family crazy for the rest of the day trying to figure out where I can fit in my workout time. And, you know, times have found me at like 8 p.m. trying to, you know, do a weights workout or whatever I didn't get to that day because I'm just that bad about fitting it in. Once you get up and you're moving and you're in your routine, it's hard to squeeze it in unless you have time blocked off. Like this is when I go to the gym or this is when I'm going to do this. Um, so I really am a huge fan of that first thing in the morning, like no excuses, nothing else is going on, at least around here. If I, if I do it early enough, no one else is up and going to need anything from me. Um, just get that in and do your body that favor. And it feels so good for the rest of your day when you've had that workout in and you can look back on that. I know I used to do um, a, a running uh, kind of training program and uh, two of the days a week I did like this Hills workout, which was a killer. Oh my gosh, it was so bad. And uh, speaking of which, maybe I should get back to that. That was really challenging and fun um, in a really bad way, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Anyway, um, doing that routine was so hard, but I remember being motivated by the idea that I'm going to have done this first thing in the morning and I can feel great about this for the rest of the day. Like, I already did something really hard today. Like, what'd you do? You know? <laughs> and uh, that feels awesome. So give yourself that gift. And then as a consequence of that, you'll be giving yourself um, a better night's sleep. Your body will just be more physically balanced in a way that prepares you for your night's sleep if you get that workout in in the morning. But also just physically being active in your day. And you probably know this. Like, if you've ever spent a day just lounging around, like on your computer, on your phone, lying on the couch, whatever, whether it's because you've been sick or whatever, you know how you feel at the end of that day. It's not like, oh, yeah, let's go to bed. That's going to feel so good. No, you feel gross and not ready to sleep. But if you've spent a day physically active, getting yourself outdoors, breathing some fresh air, maybe getting yourself out of breath a little bit, doing some exercise, you're going to be ready to enjoy that idea of getting to bed at night. So, um, give yourself that gift of exercise during your day. Okay, so those are my first three tips. Getting yourself to bed on time, practicing that discipline, giving yourself a caffeine curfew or limitation of some kind, experiment with it, and exercise during your day. The next thing that I want to mention is a magnesium supplement. Most people are magnesium deficient. Did you know that? <laughs> And your body needs it. And magnesium is a supplement that actually encourages your body to relax. It helps you to sleep. It helps you to sleep more deeply. Um, but a problem with over-the-counter pills that you take orally is that they're not easily absorbed by the body. So I, a couple of years ago, began using a magnesium spray, which is magnesium that gets absorbed through your skin. Um, it's just a, a better way for your body to actually absorb the magnesium supplement rather than taking pills, which you might not ever get to where they need to be. So um, just one word of warning, though, with the magnesium spray, um, I happen to use one. There's all different brands out there, and I don't know that one's better than another, but the one I happen to use is called Ease, and they recommend you put it on when you get out of the shower. It's more readily absorbed into your, your skin, and it's really just, I just put on a few sprays, and I, I don't, I, I cannot tell you exactly because I haven't done some scientific experiment, but when I don't use it for a while and I feel my sleep is disturbed, I'll get back into the habit and I'll notice that I'm sleeping better. And maybe it's entirely psychological, but 
Who cares? <laughs> I've got a spray on placebo. Whatever. Anyway, um, no, magnesium is scientifically proven to help people to sleep and to rest more deeply when they do sleep and to stay asleep. Um, that's, you know, like the Epsom salt baths. That's a way that um, you kind of soothe tired, sore muscles and help your body to relax. So a magnesium supplement is one way that you can do that. Um, I The one word of warning, though, that I want to give you is that I convinced my husband, Dan, to use my magnesium spray once upon a time, and he used it before he went to bed. And he woke up in the morning and he was like, oh, my gosh, I am never using that again. I had the worst nightmares of my entire life, like crazy, wild, vivid, crazy nightmares all night long. And I was like, what? Okay, whatever. So you had a bad night's sleep. Um, I don't know that it's the magnesium. And I was kind of discounting that. But he was so insistent that it was so different from any way he's ever slept before. They was convinced it was the magnesium. So then I started Googling around and uh, lo and behold, uh, some people do have that reaction to magnesium supplements. They get more vivid dreams. Um, not always nightmares, but sometimes terrible dreams. So that's kind of the opposite of what you want. <laughs> so if magnesium does that for you, and, and you know what, I changed my routine in taking the magnesium because I was a little bit worried about that happening potentially. And I just use the spray um, during the day or when I get out of shower in the morning after a workout or something, because it doesn't matter. I mean, yes, the spray, the immediate absorption of the magnesium supposedly relaxes your muscles immediately and helps you to, to calm down so that you can go to sleep. But you can get that same effect by just having magnesium, a proper level of magnesium in your body, you know, when you're going to bed. And that could have happened earlier in the day. So anyway, uh, that's just a little a little warning there. And talking about supplements, I mean, um, some people I know will take like Benadryl, Tylenol PM, um, any of those other, what are they called? I can't remember all the names of them. But anyway, you know, all those different over-the-counter things to help you to sleep. Oh, Unisom. Those are the little blue pills. Um, and I think those are okay to use, like, but not on a regular basis. Like if you're using those every single night to go to sleep, and I know some people who do, and in fact, someone very close to me does it all the time. And um, her doctor told her it's perfectly fine. Um, but you know what? I think those kinds of drugs can, yeah, they can knock you out. They can make it so that you sleep for eight hours. But those, it's been my experience that it's those nights that I wake up and I don't feel well, well rested. I don't think it's the same quality sleep that you'd be getting naturally. And also speaking of supplements, some people will take a melatonin supplement. I know my son was doing this for a while and I convinced him to stop because melatonin is a hormone that your body naturally produces to help you to fall asleep, to relax you, to make you sleepy. Um, and then... So so yeah, taking a supplement will help to make you sleepy. It'll help you to go to sleep and stay asleep. But do you know that because it's a natural hormone that your body produces, your body responds to it and your body will say, oh, we're getting this outside source of melatonin. No need to produce quite so much anymore. And your body adjusts in that way. Your body's amazing in that way. So if you're habitually taking something like melatonin to make yourself go to sleep, your body's going to adjust. And before you know it, you're going to have to take that in order to sleep, you know? Um, so I, I just be cautious about that. I think those things are good to use. Like if you're sick and you're, you know, you're, you're so congested, you're having trouble falling asleep or jet lag situations, kind of like a temporary fix in an unusual situation, but not something you want to be doing habitually, but something like magnesium um, that you're probably walking around deficient in because not many of us get the magnesium we need through the foods that we eat um, is, is something that you might want to consider taking 
as a supplement. But I am interested in um, what other people do for supplements for getting a better night's sleep. And so if you have some of those, definitely send them to me, email me or Vox me or whatever. I'd love to hear what what works for you and um, what, what kinds of things that you've tried or that your doctor has recommended. And then I could share them with people on the podcast too. All right. So that one's magnesium. Um, then I want to mention the importance of having a routine. You know what? We're all little kids inside. And when you were a little kid, you had a routine for going to bed, right? Like get, take a nice bath and brush your teeth and put your jammies on, maybe read a bedtime story. There's a lot of comfort in that. And even as grownups, we can take comfort in that. And it's like little things that you might do that cue to your body. Time to relax. We're going to be going to sleep soon you know, begin to get ready for sleeping. And I find that's really helpful because, you know, the days where I'm going like 80 miles an hour right up until bedtime and like, boom, all of a sudden I'm lying down in bed. Like, why am, why is my brain racing? Why am I not able to fall asleep? Well, duh, you didn't give your, yourself time to adjust to the idea that it's going to be nighttime. It's going to be bedtime now. So, um, I think that that's really helpful. Um, and, you know, not exercising late at night. I know I mentioned doing like 8 and 9 p.m. workouts. Those are not ideal because it really, it revs up your metabolism. Um, but have a routine. It doesn't have to be the warm bath and jammies, but that sounds very nice. Um, you might like to have a, a cup of tea. All through the winter, I know I usually have like herb, herbal tea in the last hour before I go to bed. Something like that. Um or reading a book or, you know, doing your, your prayer time or whatever it is, or, or journaling. I know a lot of people love to journal at the end of their day. Just um, having a routine can be really helpful psychologically and emotionally to kind of just really prepare yourself for relaxing, kind of, you know, shifting gears a little bit and um, preparing yourself to be able to relax enough to go to sleep. So having a bedtime routine is really helpful. Think of yourself as a little toddler and take care of that little toddler. Get yourself ready for bed. I find there's a lot of comfort in it. I think we're built for that. I think we're built for that kind of routine. And it's fun in the ways that sometimes Dan and I will share our routine at the end of the day, the things that we do um, and kind of the habits that we get into and just shifting them a little bit to be more focused on relaxing um, for bedtime. Like you don't want to be like doing stressful work and emails on your laptop in your bed before you go to bed, you know, um, which takes us to our next one that I want to mention blue light. You know, Apple has these settings on your phone that you can like adjust the light um, so that you won't be getting the, that blue light, which is like goes into your brain and shifts your metabolism, tells you to be awake. It disrupts your sleep patterns. Um, so really, like the worst thing you can do is be on your phone as you're in bed, you know, scrolling through whatever. Um, in those last few minutes before you go to sleep. But so many of us do that. Or you're doing work on your laptop or you're watching television. Um, find a way to kind of like have a curfew for your devices. All those things that are giving you that that light that's going to be signaling to your body to stay awake. Um you know, maybe if you like if you'd like to be able to get to bed by eleven PM, then maybe by ten PM. Stop using devices. You can read a book. That's a very relaxing thing to do in bed and it doesn't disrupt you with the with that blue light. So look for ways to kind of deconnect from your devices. Just the fact they're even just psychologically stressful. You know, they've, studies have shown that not having your phone in your room where you sleep, like having that in another place, uh, leads to deeper and more restful sleep. People are less stressed when they don't have that phone right there on their bedside table. Well, 
I do. Um, and it's something I've thought about and talked about changing for a long time, but I'm just too addicted to that idea of like, it's my alarm. Um, what if there's some emergency? Not that I leave my ringer on at night anyway. Um, but you know, that sort of idea, but, um, I've definitely, I've got friends who swear by it, like get a good old fashioned alarm clock to set your alarm and, or, you know, even just a little timer or whatever. Um, and put your phone somewhere else, charge it downstairs away from your bedroom and, um, see if that helps your sleep. Just the fact that you're not going to be like turning it on and checking your email first thing in the morning is going to lead to a much more pleasant um, rest experience for you and a much less stressful start to your day, a much less stressful end to your day. Just set those limits on yourself. We all know that the you know this technology is addicting. And as much as you let it encroach upon your life, it will. And um, so I find that setting kind of physical boundaries in that way is helpful. We've talked before about um, setting boundaries on your phone and how I like to, after dinner time, put my phone away, just put it away, put it in another room and just be spending time with kids as they do homework, family, prayer time, just hanging out with Jan and uh, not being distracted by my phone. So um, I think setting those physical boundaries, those physical limits on technology is sometimes what we need to do, because how many times do you have it there and you just pick it up and open it? without even knowing why, just out of habit, right? It's, you're kind of like a baby with a pacifier or something. It's so pathetic. I, I do it too. Um, so just being aware of those kinds of habits and that they might be disrupting your sleep. They might be disrupting the, um, the deepness of your sleep and the kind of rest that you get at night without you even realizing it. So um, being on your phone, that's one thing that you can change. You have the power to change that or just watching television up until the last minute that you go to bed, not necessary. Find a way to kind of limit those kinds of technologies, especially at the end of your day. You know, people used to not have blue light right before technology and the sun let people know Are we, you know, we're we're physical creatures. We're biological and we're we're geared toward our natural environment. And we've disrupted that with artificial light and um, these different kinds of technology that we, of course, I'm not going to give up lights. I'm not going to give up electricity in my house. But there are ways that you can kind of control it so that it's not quite so disruptive. Um, and you can get a little closer to what that natural pattern is supposed to be, like responding to get up when the sun comes up and go to sleep when the sun goes down. Um here in New Hampshire, in the dead of winter, the sun goes down at like 4.15 p.m. So that would be a nice early bedtime. Um, but anyway, you you do, you get what I mean. You do have control over those kinds of technologies and um, how you're going to use them and just be a little bit more aware of how they're affecting you. All right. The last thing I want to mention to the sleep deprived is you can so take a nap. I think sometimes we have this idea that it's lazy or selfish to uh, lie down in the middle of the day, but especially moms, if you're caring for small kids at home, I used to do this on a regular basis. Like, you know, during the baby's nap time, even if you have older kids, I would just put on a show for the older kids. Don't, don't let yourself feel guilty about that. Let the toddler crawl all over you while you lie down on the couch. It's not going to be the greatest rest of your lifetime, <laughs> but it is going to feel good. It is going to recharge you just a little bit. Even just, you know, 15 or 20 minutes of resting in that way um, can can really go a long way toward helping you to feel better, especially, you know, during those times when, you know, maybe you have a baby that's getting up at night. Maybe um, it's an ongoing thing with a toddler crawling into your bed. I know I certainly knew that for years. Um, or maybe it's just, 
you know, a child who's ill or something that's going on in the family that's um, disrupting your sleep at night, um, when that's unavoidable, definitely take those opportunities in the day. It's never going to, you know, substitute for getting a solid seven or eight hours at night. Uh, But it is going to help you to feel better. It is going to recharge you even just a little bit. I've done this before when I've been driving and I feel like I'm feeling sleepy and I'm afraid I might fall asleep while driving on a a long trip by myself. Um, And even if you don't drive like this, this applies. Um, Instead of taking a five hour or, you know, stopping and getting, you know, a big cup of coffee or something, trying to fix myself in that way, which I don't always find to be effective for waking me up. um, I'll pull over somewhere safe and just lie down and set the timer on my phone for like 15 minutes. Let myself actually sleep. And I feel so much better and have so much more energy when I wake up. Not, you know, you're not going to be 100% because you still are tired, but just getting that little recharge, finding a way, even an imperfect way to do it. Just make sure your kids are safe if, if you're in charge of kids at home and um, just find a way to get that rest. Even just, if you're not sleeping, even just lying down and just resting, maybe listening to some relaxing music, just relaxing your body. You can have your kids do it with you if you want. Um, I find is enormously helpful. And, you know, you'll feel better afterwards and be able to get through till bedtime. Um, But, you know, that's just like a a little a little fix. It's not going to be the solution to your sleep deprivation problem. So you've got to apply some of these other things that we've talked about. But that's for those times when you really are feeling it. And um, just don't be ashamed to do that. You if you're if you need rest, get the rest you need. If you know, just like if you're you're hungry, that's your body telling you what it needs. Um, and so when you're feeling like you, you really want to lie down and fall asleep, then that's your body telling you what it needs. And I, I find that it's so much better to spend those 15 minutes doing that, even if you're so busy and you feel like I cannot afford the time, that you're just so much better able to focus and to work on whatever it is that needs your attention if you've given yourself that time of rest. Okay, so those are those are my tips for getting more sleep. That's what works for me and stuff that <laughs> doesn't work for me. Um, so let me just review them. Get yourself to bed on time. Practice that discipline. Have a caffeine curfew. Exercise during your day. Take some magnesium. Consider doing that. Have a bedtime routine. Limit the blue light that you're getting from devices at the end of the day. And then if you need to, take a nap. But I want to hear from you. I'd love to know what you do to help you get better sleep, how you manage to get sleep, how you manage during those times when you're just out of necessity going to be sleep deprived. You can email me, Danielle at DanielleBean.com. You can connect with girlfriends on Facebook. Our Facebook group is facebook.com slash groups slash girlfriends podcast. Or you can connect with me on Facebook. My page is facebook.com slash Danielle Bean. Also, you can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Twitter. You can connect with me on Voxer. The link to connect on Voxer is in the show notes for every episode of the Girlfriends Podcast. And those show notes are published at ascensionpress.com. I just want to give you a little update on my newly released book, You Are Enough, What Women of the Bible Teach You About Your Mission and Worth. Thank you so much to those of you who have ordered and pre-ordered, taken advantage of that special pre-order bonus or the girlfriend's discount. If you order You Are Enough at ascensionpress.com and use the code girlfriends, you'll get 10% off of your order of You Are Enough. Thank you to those of you who've been supporting me and encouraging me. Right now, as of this recording, 
You Are Enough is the number one new release on Amazon in both Catholicism and Roman Catholicism. I'm not sure what the difference is between those two categories, but I think the book fits in either one. But thank you so much for those of you who've been supporting me in that way, who have ordered and pre-ordered. It means so much to me, and it's so encouraging to me to be able to see those results. And I'm so excited to share the book with you. The books are going to be shipping in the coming weeks, so I'm excited to hear from those of you who've been who once you get your books, once you get the opportunity to read them. I'm really looking forward to us having some conversations here about the content of the book. And along those lines, in the next few weeks, beginning today, I'm going to be sharing just a little bit of the book's content, just a little bit of some of the ideas and themes, looking at some of the different women characters in the Old Testament. So um, if you don't already know, You Are Enough is based on the stories of women in the Old Testament. Inside of the book, I look at stories of women in the Old Testament and what we can learn about them, about God's unique calling for women in general, but also God's unique calling for each of us as individuals, what our mission is and what our worth is, our dignity and our worth, our identity that's to be found in being daughters of God. So along those lines in this show today, I want to talk about Bathsheba because I'm going to be picking the characters um, to share here. Um, The ones that really I was kind of surprised by my reaction to or by my new perspective on. And when I read the story, we all know the story of King David and Bathsheba because it's, you know, a little bit uh, racy. The story of uh, King David watching Bathsheba bathing and lusting after her and um, taking her for his own, despite the fact that she was married, this great sin of King David. But when I read it in research for this book, when I read the story of Bathsheba, I saw her with new eyes and I was actually really um, surprised by the fact that I had previously read this story and heard this story read with a really sexist perspective because I had never previously really thoughtfully considered Bathsheba's perspective. In the story. I mean, she's a major character in the story, right? But it's kind of the fault of the way the story is written because it's all written from King David's perspective, okay? So um, when we read this story, we see that King David, like I mentioned, is um, watching Bathsheba bathing and he lusts after her and decides he must have her despite the fact that she's married to another man. Um, so in inside this passage in uh, the second book of Samuel, this is what we read. So David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her. Then she returned home. That's it. There's no mention of whether Bathsheba is a consenting partner in this situation. Um, this is like a real, you know, in today's world of Me Too, here is a classic example. This this king is just sending for her and um, having sex with her because that's what he wants to do. Doesn't matter what Bathsheba wants. Doesn't matter she's married to another man. We don't know what kind of pressure she felt, um, what kind of shame she might have felt, what kind of guilt she might have suffered as a result of being coerced um, in this way. And that's all, Like right? I mean, he lusts after her. He takes her. And he lays with her. End of story. He's all done, right? And um, that's disgusting. As a female reading this perspective, I thought, you know, this is really, this is really terrible. And then, you know, the terribleness doesn't stop there, of course, because then Bathsheba has the audacity to turn up pregnant as a result of having had sex with King David. And she lets him know. And this is an, another problem. First of all, she's an object of his lust, right? 
And then she's an object in that she's this problem that needs to be solved because she's pregnant. Never thinking and approaching her like a human being, like the precious daughter of God that she is. So it's the story is really infuriating in that way. And um, because she's pregnant, he tries to um, bring her husband home from war and tries to get her husband to go home and be with her so that it will be natural that she turns up pregnant and he'll assume it's his. Those plans don't work out. So then he manages to have her husband, Uriah, killed in battle. Um, and then takes her as his own wife. I mean, all of this from a female perspective is horrifying, correct? I mean, he's he's using her as this object in multiple ways. And then in the end, to make it all better and cover up his sin, he, he brings her in and takes her as his own wife and thinks, there, I've covered it all up and it's all settled. End of story, right? But here's the really powerful part of this story. It's not the end of the story because God saw what David did and God valued Bathsheba as a precious daughter and God was angry about King David and what he did. So inside of the story, we read that uh, God was angry. It says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. That's the quote in the second book of Samuel that it's not over. And so that's when, um, he sends the prophet Nathan to David, right? We all remember this part of the story, don't we? Where the prophet Nathan comes and tells him the parable, tells him the story of a man who had a precious little ewe lamb who was, quote, like a daughter to the man who owns it. And that this man who this is all he had and it's the most precious thing he had in the world, um, a rich man comes and takes it from him and has it killed. Um, you know, a rich man who has many things. So inside of that story, King David listens to that story and grows angry and says, this man should be killed. This is a terrible offense against God and against the other man. It's completely unjust. And that's when the prophet Nathan tells him, you are that man. And that's because that precious ewe lamb is representing Bathsheba, who he took from another man, right? And I think it's so powerful that inside of that story that the prophet Nathan tells King David, Bathsheba is a precious ewe lamb who is like a daughter to the man who owns it. And that speaks powerfully to how God looks at each of us and how he looked at Bathsheba even inside of the story of her suffering. She's precious. She's his precious daughter. And not only is Bathsheba God's precious daughter and he sees the ways in which she has suffered, even when others don't, even when others might be tempted to just discount it and that this is all a story from a man's perspective, God sees her perspective. God sees her pain. She's precious to him and he's angry at that injustice that has been done. And he's angry at the injustice that might have been done to you. You are his precious daughter. We are his precious daughters, his precious ewe lambs. Later in the New Testament, Jesus talks about him being the good shepherd and we are his sheep. Right? He loves us with that special, personal, attached love, intimate love, and cares for us like a shepherd cares for his sheep. So I think that's so powerful. And I had never before really thought about that. And then the most powerful thing, I think, in the end, is that in the genealogy of Jesus that we read in the New Testament, which is um, included in the first chapter of Matthew, Bathsheba is mentioned she is mentioned there. She's one of only four women who are included in that genealogy of Jesus. And she's listed as the mother of Solomon, but not by her own name, 
but she's referred to as the wife of Uriah. Not the wife of David. He took her for his wife after he had a Uriah killed. But I think that this is so powerful and meaningful that this is the way that God has ordained that she be remembered in the genealogy of Christ, that she's referred to as the wife of Uriah because others did not see, but God saw that that was her rightful identity. That was her husband. She was deprived of that husband. She was deprived of the life that she was meant to have with him because of King David's sin. And God saw that injustice and in a small way gives voice to it in a way that the world didn't, in the way that the world wouldn't, in the way that we don't even see many of us when we're reading this story. So I think it's so important for us to read these stories of women in the Old Testament like Bathsheba and go further into what their identities are, into what their connection with God was, into the ways that God acknowledges them, sees them, connects with them, calls them to their own unique mission, and includes them as part of his work of salvation. Because there's a lot that we can learn inside of those stories about our own mission and our own worth. And that's what I do inside of You Are Enough. I'm going to be sharing more characters um, from the Old Testament that I've looked at in You Are Enough in the coming weeks on the podcast, just these little little bits like this, just to give you an idea of the book's content um, and so that we can explore them together and possibly go further with that kind of content in the book and through the podcast. You guys are an important part of this book because I've been sharing with you right along as I've been working on it. So I do want to share the content with you. Um, so I've shared about Beth. Sheba, that's one one small part of the book. And then I'm going to be sharing about more characters, uh, more people from other chapters of the book in future episodes in the coming weeks. But I'm looking forward to hearing what you think. What do you think about what we've shared here today about Bathsheba? And what? how do you identify with that as a daughter of God? How does that affect your own identity with regard to how you think of yourself as a daughter of God? Do you think of yourself as that precious ewe lamb? That's part of what I hope to address in the book, and I, I hope that you'll get that message for those of you who will be reading it. You are enough. What women of the Bible teach you about your mission and worth is that we all have that unique identity and that unique calling in the eyes of God. And it's important for us to discern what our mission is, what our calling is, what our vocation is, what how we're supposed to be spending our time inside of God's perspective. So... Um, if you have feedback that you want to share about the book, I'd love to hear it in any way. You're going to be getting your book probably in the next couple of weeks if you've pre-ordered. So be sure to email me, danielle at daniellebean.com or reach out on Facebook. You know how to find me and I would love to be able to share your feedback on a future episode. And of course, my book is published by Ascension. You can go to ascensionpress.com to order your own copy using that girlfriend's code to get 10% off. But while you're there, check out everything else they have at ascensionpress.com. There are lots of other podcasts. There are videos. There are blogs. There are lots of other resources for your kids, for your parish, for your marriage. You want to check out the different programs and studies that they have available. All super high quality content, all super relevant and um, presented in a beautiful and attractive way. I love everything about the way that Ascension produces their products and the ways in which they communicate with people in the church, really in a modern, contemporary, relevant way so that you and your kids and your community, your parish will benefit from it. Check it all out at ascensionpress.com. And 
that's all we have time for this week. I want to thank you for taking this time to spend and connect with me here at the Girlfriends Podcast. It means so much to me that you tune in week after week, all the different ways that we're able to connect through the podcast, but none is more meaningful than the community that we're sharing here through the podcast where it all began. So thank you, whether you this is your first time listening or if you're one of those longtime people who goes way back to over two and a half years ago when we began. I so appreciate the fact that you are a part of the Girlfriends podcast community means so much to me just that you're here. Thank you for that. And until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a collaboration between DanielleBean.com and Ascension, the leader in Catholic faith formation. 